Hello, you are listening to The Power of Investing in People with Shay Sparks. I had the honor of being on the show with Shay and wow, how authentic she is and how much I know that she wants to keep hope alive in the community. So thank you all for joining. And everyone here today, I'm offering a special to all active duty or retired military to my all access on-demand training where we learn how to dream, believe, and achieve our best life. Please visit at timlanefitness.com and I'll see you all soon. Enjoy the show. From being a colonel in the army to becoming a speaker, coach, and author, Rob Campbell shares his journey of being a leader in the military and growing leaders in the entrepreneurial world. One of the wisdom nuggets that he shared was when speaking to a new member of the team, say, I need your help. I'm so glad you're here, which inspires them to do their best work. Stay tuned for his incredible story. Also, stay tuned to this podcast in the next couple of weeks on how you can join my group coaching session starting in July. We will break through fear in order to embody skills and tools to lead with emotional intelligence. You won't want to miss it. Welcome to the Power of Investing in People podcast. I am your host, Shay Sparks, Chief Excitement Officer of Sparks of Fire International, where we get you fired up about your life and business by transforming trauma into treasure. Check out my new co-author collaborative book called Fire Starters, How to Be a Spark of Hope in the Midst of Change on my website, shaysparks.com. And I invite you to connect with me on all the social media. It's on my website and all the social media that's out there. I pretty much Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and you can even find me on YouTube. And today, our guest is the incredible Rob Campbell. Welcome to the show, Rob. Thanks, Shay. Love your mission. I love your title, and I'm happy to be on the show. Thank you. And I'm so glad we got connected maybe like what, a month ago mm-hmm. on LinkedIn from David Komar. We were both on a panel for leadership. So I yep. think that's where that we got the connected. Place. It's all about the network. Yes, definitely. Definitely. And yep. you know, we're across country from each other and you just never know who you're going to meet. You never know. They're absolutely right. Thank God for this kind of medium, right? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. For those of you who don't know, Rob Campbell is the founder of Rob Campbell Leadership, a leadership coaching and speaking business helping organization grow leaders and increase employee engagement. Rob is a 30-year practitioner and student of leadership. He is a John Maxwell certified executive leadership coach and speaker. Colonel Rob Campbell began his service in the Army as an infantry officer in 1990. In a career spanning 27 years, Rob served as commander or CEO of an infantry brigade of nearly 5,000 men and women in the 101st Airborne Division. He is an Army Ranger, parachutist, and combat veteran of our wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. He is decorated with a combat infantryman's badge and three Bronze Star Medals. He served during recovery efforts following Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans as well. He has also written two best-selling books, one on leadership and the other on military transition. Rob also serves as the executive director for Vet to CEO, a veteran entrepreneurship program. In his role, he made curriculum improvements, boosted social media presence, and formed strategic partnerships. His website 
is robcampbellleadership.com. And of course, that'll be in the show notes. So Rob, with all of your accolades and all the things that you have done, mm. I'm, I know this question, or this answer that you're going to say is going to be so interesting. So yeah. my first question is, what does investing in people mean to you? Okay, buckle up. It means the world to me. And so I'll go back to summer of 2013. And that's where I was afforded some time before I became the CEO of this large organization you just mentioned to think about my leadership and how I was going to apply that and really excited to be able to go there and make a big difference. And it all settled into this soundbite, this methodology, this this thing that I believe in, which was investing in people. You know, I didn't think about it as, as deeply as I did when I got out and wrote the book. It's personal, not personnel leadership lessons for the battlefield, the boardroom. Which I love that title. Such yeah, title. there were many people that had read the book and said, man, I wish I had this before I went in and took command or became a CEO. And I I always say, yeah, me too, (laughs) because I hadn't thought about leadership that deeply. But it it, it all came down to investing in people. And the way I describe that is when I do my speeches, to invest in something is to dedicate time, talent, and resources Mm -hmm. to get something in return. That's pretty common. That's a definition of investment and why you invest in something. So to invest in a garden, you, you invest in a garden to take in its beauty or consume its vegetables, or you invest in real estate to gain more income, let's say. You put the energy and the effort into it. It becomes a focus for you and a priority for you. And you're looking for a return from that. That's why we invest in something. You invest in people to make them better people. Now, notice I didn't say increase productivity or market share, revenue. All that happens from that investment. So you dedicate time, talent, and resources to people. And what you get in return are better people. Better for them, better for their future, better for the company, certainly. But it's not the same as like a monetary investment might be. And that investment looks something like this. It's a variety of things that leaders can do. First and foremost, it starts with a focus on people. The first person I talked to when I took over my large organization was my HR officer. She was my ambassador, my champion for investing in people because it was a statement but there were some methodologies behind it. I dedicated a third of my calendar to mm-hmm. coaching people, counseling people, doing family events, all people-centric type things. I wrote a biography sketch, which is not who where I've been and the medals I have on my chest. It was about Rob Campbell, the real Rob Campbell, my strengths and weaknesses, the life crucibles that I had experienced, the real me, so that my people could get to know me. All of this was encompassed in this investing in people. I never took risk in investing in people. My brigade was given some very difficult missions, one of which was to move ourselves from one end of Fort Campbell, Kentucky to another. Mm. Massive move of real estate, equipment, people, everything. And my staff wanted guidance from me on how to do that. The only thing I told them is I will not assume risk in investing in people. I won't put a soldier in a substandard barracks. I won't let a soldier eat in a substandard dining facility. And I won't put units into a facility where they can't secure their equipment and train for war. That's my focus. You figure out how to get us from point A to point B. And that's where investing in people landed. I said this a lot in my organization. You've got to be a parrot as a leader. If you want something to sink in, you've got to be that one that repeats it all the time. And I started hearing it back from my leaders, not only in word, but in deed and what they did each day and how they focused on their people and were counseling and growing the next set of leaders to replace them. 
So there is my long answer to your short question of what investing in people means. And I, I, I was just enlightened when I first met you and I found out that's your thing because it's mine too. And, and there's plenty of room for both of us out there because people need huge investment in so many companies out there. So nice start to this podcast. I love it. And thank you so much for your amazing answer because there were so many nuggets in there. And I'm just going to pull out one that you just talked on in just a l- that little bit was leading by example. And how often do you feel that leaders are do as I say, not as I do? Yeah, there's a mix of that, right? It's hard to say percentage wise. It depends on the person. It depends on the company. But I've certainly seen that. Mm-hmm. Do as I say, not as I do. It, it happens, Shay, when there's no one there to put you in check. And you've always got to have that as a leader. Power corrupts. It corrupts absolutely. And it happens when we surround ourselves with yes people. That's where this thing called do as I say, not as I do can be born, Mm -hmm. you know, without any repercussions whatsoever. I always surrounded myself with people that could protect me from myself because I had my flaws. Now, I was never one of those do as I say, not as I do types. I might have been as a younger leader where I was a bit more selfish, but the army did its job and other leaders did their job of weaning that out of me. But it gets get started in environments where no one's putting anybody in check. You got to have somebody that could tap you on the shoulder. Hey, you just said this and this is part of your guidance, yet you're doing this. Isn't that a conflict? Well, yeah, geez, I guess it is. There's those that have big egos, are very full of themselves, that frankly, very insecure, that do things like that. They say that and they don't mean it. And as I coach people a lot, be careful what you put in that policy or what you give for instructions or intent, because you have to be the example of that. If you're not ready to be the example of that, if you're not ready to hold people accountable to that standard, then you shouldn't put it out there. When I do see it, it it always goes back to a flaw in a person, a flaw in perhaps the team that they have around them or don't have around them, but some insecurities there and just a bad environment. So true. I grew up not knowing that this was the definition of integrity, but knowing that you're only as good as your word. So if you're not following through on what you said you were going to do, then nobody's going to believe you. Nobody's going to want to work with you. Nobody's going to trust you. And what you were saying was really about accountability for that person, for that leader, but also accountability to to surround themselves with people who will hold them accountable. And that in itself, I think, is something that not many people even talk about. It's a hidden asset, right? That we have to have a support team around us that'll go, you know, you really, are you sure you're, are you sure you're okay? Have you considered doing this? Have, you know, is that what, you know, is that how you want to show up? And I think there's less people, there's more yes people and less accountable support team. So how much is integrity and accountability in overall that you've, the companies that you've worked with, and even in the army and the teams that you've Mm -hmm. worked with, do you see that people are not doing that? And then how do you as a coach really be able to get in there and say, I'll be your support system. I'll be your accountability buddy and to move, help you move forward. Because at the end of the day, our job as coaches is to really help people be better people. What I do as a coach is I shed light on things that an individual cannot see for themselves. And yeah, this thing about integrity, uh, it, it is all about word and deed. It's not just one or the other. It's what you yeah. say and, and how you conduct yourself. You know, it's really important, especially we talk about communication at the very beginning of this and, and, and what you say and how people will hang on to that. It's so much more important as you go up 
the ladder in an organization because less and less do you have the ability to correct what you might have said in error because we're not perfect. We say things sometimes that, oops, that didn't come out. Mm-hmm. You can't course correct if you've got 30, 50, 100 people underneath you. They're going to latch onto those words and you, they won't let go. And, and so it's so important. When it comes to an integrity and, and trust and accountability, I think it's like this conscience that a leader has, this inner voice. We, we talk to ourselves often inside and we ought to listen to that conversation and have that conversation and be introspective about what we say and what we do, all from a position of trust. I don't get trust automatically. I don't see that leaders get trust automatically. They do eventually by what they do. And, and here's some examples. So let's say I, I was uh, your leader and you came on to my team. Now, you're not going to just default to trusting me because I'm the leader and I hold that position, nor should you. And so the way I'm going to gain your trust, and here's the really special part of how you gain trust. It's not just uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to do this thing and I'm going to give you some resources. So that way you trust that I'm supporting you and doing what you're doing. Okay, sure. That's part of it. It's really the serendipitous collisions that you and I have where we bump into each other in the elevator. Shay, how you doing? Monday morning. How was your weekend? Hey, tell Great. me about that trip you and your husband took because you were talking about it last week. You were so jazzed up about it. Right. That's where trust is formed when you're really bonding with another teammate and talking about those things outside of work. Trust is formed in that 10 minutes before the meeting as everybody's gathering, just talking about this, that and the other. Trust is formed when I show personal interest to you. Shay, isn't tomorrow the first day of school? Why don't you come in three hours late? And see your kid off to the bus and drop him or her off personally. Why don't you do that? Wow. Rob Kimball's tracking on what's happening in my personal life. Okay. I trust this guy. He's really showing me that he's there for me, word and deed. And so it's about, certainly is about what you say and what you do. And if you misstep or if there's any kind of conflict, you say one thing and do another because it's, it's a tough world out there then the power of the apology is really important. Shay, listen, I'm really sorry about yes. what I said. I, I didn't mean it to come out that way, that I think very highly of you and the team, and I admire greatly what you do here. And that was just a dumb thing for me to say. So I, I just hope you accept my apology. And that's just a way to build that back up. If at all, it, you take a hit on it. We could fill the rest of the show about integrity. It's so important, but it really happens in very informal ways, and and they're so powerful. It's so true, and you really describe an amazing way how a leader can invest in their team. It's not about, did you get that project done, because time is of the essence. Mm -hmm. No, it's really about, like, how are you doing, and really wait to hear it and understand it and listen rather than the million things that are going through our heads at any given time. So you really hit another nail on the head, which I love because you didn't know that you did this, but it's perfect, Mm -hmm. is transparency. And I believe that there is such a a lack of vulnerability Mm -hmm. and transparency to admit like, hey, just exactly what you said. Hey, I am so sorry. Uh, That is not my intent. That's not how I wanted this to go. Hey, we tried it. It didn't work out whatever that was, our project, whatever. And I think there's something to be said for back to integrity, to be able to have that conversation and be vulnerable and transparent and say, this didn't work. I'm sorry. What are your thoughts on that? I'm glad you brought that up because it's such an important point. Transparency and vulnerability are massive and they are absolutely inextricably linked to integrity and trust Mm -hmm. without question. 
I was always a very transparent leader. The biosketch that I mentioned earlier, which is in my first book, I shared it there. What I thought to be an act of transparency, what was really happening is I was being vulnerable. I didn't really codify it that way until I was out of the military doing some deeper dives on leadership. And I read Daniel Coyle's book, The Culture Code, where he really gets into vulnerability. And I thought that was great. Of course, Brene Brown is a authority in this space. Oh, she's so good. She really lays out what vulnerability and transparency can be and should be. I am all about transparency. I'm all about vulnerability. But the reason it doesn't happen is because it's not a natural thing for leaders. The system, society, traditional think is, oh no, the leader has to be this flawless person. And there's this wall there, right? There's this closed door that you don't see the weakness and the suffering and the struggling behind the scenes. Now, This does not mean wear your heart on your sleeve all day long and just share all of your weaknesses with your people. They're going to turn and say, okay, you're just not fit for leadership. But I think it's so powerful for, I'll demonstrate. Shay, how was your weekend? All right, we talk about it a little bit. It's Monday morning and it's our heart. We're going to spend 10 minutes with the team here just getting synchronized. All right, my turn to talk. Okay, guys, I'm losing sleep over this and it's our performance objective because the end of the quarter is coming up. I just want you to know that's kind of on my mind right now. And I want to help each of you succeed, but it's bothering me. And I, and I don't necessarily have all the answers. That's a huge part of vulnerability. One of the more profound moments I had when I retired, my army chaplain, first female chaplain in an infantry brigade, she was fantastic. She did the prayer at my, at my retirement. When she came up to me afterwards, she said, before I met you, I was in fear that you were going to be this big army ranger bravado. You know, I I don't need females on my team. Do this and get out of my office. But she came into my office and sat down. And I always welcomed in new officers and had some one-on-one time with her. And the first thing out of my mouth was, I need your help. That was vulnerability. I needed her help because we were bringing more females into an infantry brigade. The army had made that change and I was all about it. I thought it was the right thing to do. I still do, but I don't connect with females the way that she does. I don't connect with soldiers the way that she does. I do in different ways, but she can be really value added in terms of getting the pulse on the females of my organization. So it was the first thing I said to her, I need your help. I'm so glad you're here. And that inspired her like you wouldn't believe. A few more points on this. Stan McChrystal, General Stan McChrystal says, you ought to share things to the point that it makes you uncomfortable. Then you probably got it. So in a company, what is that? Maybe it's the financials. Maybe it's everybody's paycheck. Well, why wouldn't you share that? Are you hiding right. something? Gets right. right to integrity, doesn't it? Exactly. Now, certainly, you don't need to just show everything. Certainly, some of the stuff is private information. But our radar ought to be up as leaders on, okay, how much can I share of what's going on? How much should I share of what's going on? How can I be vulnerable in this while still holding my ground and leading and making a decision and doing what needs to be done? All very vital things. It doesn't get done because we think traditionally often about leadership. We don't have experience in schooling that really shows us that vulnerability and transparency is actually strength. It's courage. To be vulnerable is to be courageous. And we often think that's a weakness. And that's why leaders don't display it as much as they should. I I totally agree with you. And it's interesting as you were talking, I'm also thinking of people who are solopreneurs that are by themselves. Mm -hmm. They don't have a team, but they might be hiring somebody or they might be working with a client. And that just to have that vulnerability and transparency back to the integrity piece, it really sets the tone for how they show up. 
And speaking of society, look at social media. Social media is always, and I will say that definite word, is Mm -hmm. that there are not many people out there showing this is the crap I had to go through. This is the struggles I had to overcome. That is really what this basis of this podcast is to really deep dive into what does it look like to be able to struggle with depression for however many years. And now I've become a a leader because they invested in themselves, right? And then they pulled themselves out of it. So with that said, let's go back to Rob, you know, back to school. Maybe you're thinking of career. Maybe you were that troublemaker like I was, or <laughs> maybe you were going, okay, I want to go to college. What was mm-hmm. your thought process and where were you back before you decided to go into the army? Well, I think the pivotal moment for me was freshman year in college. I spoke of the system earlier, right? Traditional think and these traditional paths that mm-hmm. we kind of coach and our parents wish for us and in, in where we want to go. For me, I was going to be a businessman. My dad had sold commercial insurance and he was in the army reserves. And so I went to school for business. And I, I had no desires to join the Army. If you'd asked me in high school if I was going to be a career officer, I would have laughed at you in the face. I had no zero desires to do that. But I got to college, and I didn't make the basketball team. I, mean, I was a basketball fanatic, played in high school, loved the game, just always had a basketball in my hand. I didn't make the team. There goes that passion down the tube right there. I mean, it, yeah. it came to a screeching halt. So, yeah. and I don't know that I was consciously thinking this way, but I, I just, said, okay, now I got to find something else. What am I doing? Yeah. Well, I'd always been very independent and I was broke like most college students are. So I saw these big dollar signs to join the Army National Guard. I'm like, all right, that could be a pretty good second income. It was not about serving my country in a time of war. You know, it was the, right. it was the 80s, nothing going on. So I said, all right, I'll do that. So I signed up for the reserves. Well, a lot of people questioned that. My dad wanted to make sure making the right decision. I'm like, yeah, I'm comfortable. Let's do this. And I got into the army and I found something that I really enjoyed. It was the leadership. It was the people. Hmm. It was a very people-centric organization. It was all about the people around you. It was a team. It was a brother and sisterhood that just got into my DNA and and I became that. It, It broke me down as an individual and made me into a soldier. The other thing that I'd like to highlight about that period, which was so pivotal, is I look back on it now. I had no business getting a business degree. I'm not a details person. I'm not a numbers person. I'm just not. I've got somebody doing the finances for my business because I despise it. I just hate it. I I get it. Me too. Yeah. Now I can do it. I can do it if I have to, right? I can go to those places. I I don't, I'm not one of these. I don't do windows. I can do windows, but it's, it sucks the energy out of me. Mm -hmm. What I should have done is maybe something in humanities or psychology or something Mm. like that. That would have been fascinating to me. But the system is what guided me. And so I've got two sons and I'll use the second one as an example. The youngest, when he was starting school, loved music, loved playing the guitar, jazz guitar. And he was nervous. It wouldn't put food on the table. So he said, dad, listen, I, uh, I'm a little nervous about getting a music degree. I said, okay, then get a business degree. It'd be miserable for four years <laughs> or do what you love and you'll find your way. And that's yes. the guidance I wish have had. I wish I would have had and known clearer as a young man as I entered in. So yeah, found the army, got through my business degree, got it done. It was painful, but, but I got it done. And then, and there it went, took off from there. I love that story. Cause it's so true. We think we're on a path and then all of a sudden a wrench gets thrown in there and you're like, oh, 
maybe I need to just do this. And I yeah. love how you went in for one reason and ended up staying for 30 years. Almost, yeah, 27, almost 30. Wow. It was just, it was never one of these things where I'm going to do 27 and leave. It was just uh, one assignment at a time. And the army kept fulfilling that need of mine as an extrovert, yeah. as a people person to invest in people. It was a gold mine to invest in people. There were sure. opportunities left and right there. Of course, serving my country, I was very proud to do that and all that goes with it. So I love I it. do it all over. You're obviously a leader. You were a leader in the army. Was there a time when you weren't a leader and you were really thinking, maybe I'm a leader, but I'm not really sure how to step into that. I know what it looks like, but I don't know if I'm capable of it. Was there a time like that that you went through that you want to share with us? Yeah, I was a younger officer. And when you go through ROTC in college, that's a good four years of leadership training, but you're never really in charge of something. You don't get to take charge of something until you're about a year into the Army after you sign up. You go through all this schooling to get skilled at your skill and what you do. And of course, the Army is famous for thrusting leaders into positions and letting them jump into the deep end of the pool and swim. And that's where really... My awakening was as a young leader in front of soldiers now for the first time that were really under my command and leading them. I had a short fuse. I thought that being a bit abrasive was the way, right? Take the hill. I don't care. I have a sense of humor and it's actually a weakness of mine in some cases where it's great for breaking the ice. I'm the perfect guy for that. But I default to my sense of humor when I'm not confident about things. So I was a bit of a comedian as a young officer, and that wasn't necessarily a good fit, especially in a military profession when lives are at stake. I controlled it, but not as good as I I should have as a young leader. But it was a non-commissioned officer. It was a sergeant that really opened my eyes to leadership and and showed me the way. It were others that led me and underwrote my mistakes and, and coached and counseled me when I tripped and fell and saw something in me that said, okay, this guy is going to move forward to the next rank and the next position because he's displaying all that he needs to. So that's really what made me a leader is is other people and experiences like that and tripping and falling and and scraping my knee and getting back up and trying it again. Yeah, took a while. That was really the defining moment, you know, that first time when you're actually in charge of something. And of course, every assignment was different. Rob Campbell is a platoon leader of 24 people versus Rob Campbell as an army colonel in charge of nearly 5,000, two very different leaders. Right. And it was an amazing journey to grow, to, to be each one of those as I climbed the ladder. I love that. For me, I was always put in leadership positions. And I would be questioning like, why do you want me in that? I'm not a leader. (laughs) And it wasn't literally until just a few years ago that I was like, every job I've ever had within six months, I was at the top. And I thought, maybe there's something to this leadership that I really need to step into. And one of the things I actually train in is leadership values and what that looks like for each person, because it's different. And for me, I didn't have examples of leaders. I had examples of what not to do. Yep. And you so can learn from them as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and it depends on how you want to look at it. Mm-hmm. That whole, you know, do as I say, not as I do. So you can look at that and go, okay, so what is it that they did that didn't work for me? And what is the opposite of that? And that's the thing I, I really love to 
to talk to people about and coach people about because then it's, wow, I had never looked at it like that. I didn't think about it in that point of view because we look at, well, I don't have examples. Okay, great. Find examples. Find who inspires you to be a a good leader. Did you have good leaders that inspired you along the way? Oh, yeah. I had a bunch and and I had some bad ones that taught me as well, like you mentioned. But I want to bring up a point. I'll get to that question. You were talking earlier about how you get you kept getting placed in leadership positions. And that's probably because somebody saw something in you that said leader, right? The way you acted, the way you presented yourself, the confidence that you espoused and and your focus on values and people like you are, that oozed leadership, that spoke to leadership. And that's why you were placed there. But you have to decide to be a leader. It wasn't necessarily a decision for me in the army. I was going to lead. I was going to be an officer. I'm just automatic, but not everybody follows that path. If you're in a company and you want to climb the ladder and your next step is to be the leader of this small group, then you have to decide, okay, I'm going to decide that I'm going to be a leader. And all that comes with that, because there's burdens, there's pressure, there's sacrifice, there's all these different things. There's communication, there's personal growth that you need to commit to, to grow yourself for the sake of your people. And so you have to decide. But once you've decided, it's not necessarily easy after that, but it's easier, right? It's Mm -hmm. okay, I'm a leader and this is the way it's going to be. I've had a few folks that I have coached, younger ones that had that awakening. And it was a beautiful thing to see. And once they had that awakening, there they were. And and it was like, okay, I can do this now. I know I need to do this and I have to do this. I'm required to do this, but you have to decide. It's not just a position title that you get. Yeah. So let me talk about the leaders that inspired me. And we discussed some of it earlier in terms of vulnerability and transparency. I always enjoyed serving under those that could laugh at themselves and let their guard down and share when they were struggling with something, admit their mistakes. Those were the ones that really inspired me. Some of them were just so gifted in how they spoke and the words that they used and how they inspired people that I just marveled over those types that could just really get up and deliver and and bring a crowd right back to, hey, this is who we are and what we're about. And this is our mission. And we're going to do this together and really get the team proud of. I always try to emulate that as a leader. I, I remember the leaders that inspired me always had leader presence. They, they stood tall. They, they oozed confidence. Even if they may be struggling with something, they just had this air of confidence about them. And they were very connected with people. You know, if they were meeting you, Shade, I'd be looking right in your eyes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Who are you? What are you all about? What's, your, what's going on in your family? What are you struggling with? How can I help grow you into the next leader that replaces somebody like me? They were just laser focused on those kind of things. I had a lot of bad leaders too. And like you said, I I look at the opportunities in bad times. When the pandemic hit last year, one of the first questions I asked myself, what are the opportunities? Several, right? Tough question to ask. I did the same thing. Yes, There were several. And I'm able to reflect this year on where I'm at today. I'm thankful, certainly not for a pandemic, but thankful that I was forced into that place and I had some time to think about things. Same for leadership. One of the ones that sticks out to me, he was a diminisher leader. Liz Wiseman wrote a really great book called Multipliers. And it talks about those leaders that push others out there to grow and expand their capability that they don't even know they have. Or diminishers that cut you off in a sentence are the first ones to speak in a meeting, have everything figured out, don't need your opinion or anything. And that's what I had. I had a diminisher leader and I was his executive. And anything the staff brought him, 
he'd always just cut it to pieces. So what he ended up getting is a 60% solution because he knew he was going to junk it anyway. So why are we putting effort into it? And he was a bit abrasive. He just knew you were going to take a beating. So his staff hid things from him. They were not forthcoming with issues that he needed to hear. And I had to be the conduit for that. But it was a real pity that he was that way. And it, and it, certainly there are times where you need to be stern and very serious and angry sometimes, but it was just too much and it wasn't needed. And so I, I always remembered that's what I don't want to be. At the same time, Shay, he taught me a lot. Now, I, I, he yeah. really taught me how to be tenacious and he thrust me into, he pushed me to some very deep ends and I had to swim hard to stay afloat. And I'm the better for it, although I'm resentful for him, of him, I should say. I love it. You know, it. what you're saying, it just brings me back to how often we have anger towards a person, but yet we forget that we are taking nuggets from them, whether they're good, bad, or different. Indeed. But you're able to use them to go forward as an opportunity. Uh, I remember yeah. a, a boss who, in fact, he was the CEO of the company, and Unfortunately, there were a lot of extramarital things happening around me in the upper management and upper leadership roles. And we saw it. And I was like, oh, that's just crazy. But the thing that I'll just never forget that they said, and I love this because we talked about it in the very beginning, is that it's the 80-20 rule of 80% passion and 20% skill. And I really feel that for myself, and I know for you because I can see it in you, is that we have 80% passion of helping yes. others. Like our lights our soul on fire every single day is to jump out of bed. And who do I get to help today? Who do I get to talk to? Who can I inspire? Who can I invest in? And I think for our listeners, some of them aren't in that 80% space of, you know, yeah. what lights your soul on fire is how I like to put it. What advice would you say to them as they're, maybe they're in a job and they're thinking about starting a business or maybe they're transitioning out of the military and now they're like, yep. okay, what's next? What advice would you have for them? Yeah, I love this question. All right, so this is another buckle up moment. I talk about this a lot in my second book because when I transitioned out of the army, I had a blank sheet of paper. I could do anything I wanted. And it was very scary because the army gives you your job title yes. and yes. what you need to do. There's no creativity required. Go do this, Campbell, move out. And it's not just an army thing in terms of transition. It's a lot of young people like my sons entering college or even college graduates. Well, I'll explain it this way. And when the military transition program right now is very flawed for lots of reasons. I yes. could fill the podcast talking about it. Yes. So let's just, let's just say that it, it, it is flawed. It, it's so focused on just get a job because right. the Department of Defense doesn't want to pay unemployment insurance for veterans that don't get jobs out there. Understandably, I get that. So there's just this hyper focus on Shay, thanks for your service, get a job. And so you get a job and now the, the government's happy because you got a job, but you're miserable because you hate it. Right. And so we're asking the wrong question when veterans Agreed. transition. And that question is, hey, Shay, thanks for your service. You did eight years, you did 38, whatever it was. What do you, what do you want to do? The real question is, who are you? Yes. And that's the question that has to be asked, not just by transitioning service members, but everybody. Mm. That's your start point. Hey, Rob, uh, you're going to go off to college and get a degree. Very smart choice. You ought to go do that. You ought to have a degree. It'll help you the rest of your life. What do you want to do? No, 
What is it that you're passionate about? What would get you out of bed in the morning? As I talk to a lot of transitioning vets and people of all kinds, I do, I do interact with a lot of college students too. Questions are these. If you could do anything you wanted tomorrow, if money wasn't an issue, the bills were paid, food on the table, all that stuff, take that out of the equation. What would you do? And there might be a few answers there. Certainly, if it's just going to be surfing or fishing, okay, you're probably not going to make a huge living doing that. And that's something that you love doing. But what would get you out of bed you know, that you could get paid to go do, what would that be? Answer that. Without any distractors, any of the environment, anything, in a blank sheet of paper, what would that be? Now you're getting closer to something that you're truly passionate about. Or go back to your life all the way through grade school, high school, all the way through, and pick out five moments where you were in it. You were confident. You felt energized. You felt confident. It was, you were levitating. It was so powerful. And write those down and then look at them, step back and look at them and, and find out what the commonalities are in there. And that can speak to you in terms of what your true passion is. Then pursue that. Now, that doesn't mean that if you want to go start a, an urban garden in the middle of a city somewhere, that's what you sprint to. Maybe you go work for a while at a job that's close to your passion, not the best, maybe not the best boss in the world, but you're saving money, you're supporting yourselves. But don't take your eye off that longer target of what it is you want to do. What you and I do is hard. I mean, it is hard because it's not a constant stream of income coming our way. We have to chase the next client. It's difficult. But today's a great example. I coached two people this morning. It was awesome. I, it was a, an amazing feeling. I got some great accolades this morning on how I helped somebody. I saw the fruits of my labor right in front of me. And that motivated me. This podcast motivates me because we are now investing in your listeners. Yes. And they'll take nuggets away from this thing. So that's your start point. You've got to have clarity on that. And then let your, your life guide you you along those ways, but always be focused on what that is. I was fortunate when I transitioned from the military that I came out with my life's core purpose, which is to make a difference in the lives of others through optimistic leadership. Yes. Sounds like a bumper sticker, doesn't it? But I spent a weekend in this course called True Growth. I referenced it in my second book, Eddie, mm -hmm. discovering that core purpose. It was really one of the first times in my professional career that I focused on myself. I did some introspection to think about who I really was. Yes. And I knew, I always knew I had this sense that I need to take that with me into my encore life after my career, that core purpose. There's a variety of things I can do with that core purpose, Shay, mm -hmm. a variety of things, but it, I've got to stay loyal to that. If I'm not loyal to that, then I'm not fulfilled. And that is going to manifest on my brain working harder and stress and depression and all that comes with it. And it will, or stay doing what I love. Does it make, it's an easy path. Doesn't mean there's, some, there's not some sweat equity involved or absolutely is. I'm a huge fan of entrepreneurship. It's not for everybody, but especially when I think of transitioning veterans, many of them don't want to work for anybody anymore. They've done all that. They've been subservient in their military career right. to a leader all the way through. Now they want to be the captain of their own ship. Entrepreneurship is a great way to do that. Startup ain't it. Don't think start because that's everyone thinks they just default like tradition and the system pushes everyone to start up. I'll just slave them off my uncle's internet, sit in his garage for a few months and poof, I'm Mark Zuckerberg. Right. No, franchise opportunities are entrepreneurship opportunities. Buying an existing business is very entrepreneurial. Go work in the industry that you want to disrupt as an entrepreneur yes. and find a way to do that while you save up money and can fund that enterprise because startups are so hard. Mm. Oh my goodness. Quick point, my friend of mine was a Marine Raider for 13 years. That's the tip of the spear in the Marine Corps, the best of their best. And he transitioned out 
I started a carpet cleaning company. He's not passionate about carpet cleaning. Okay. <laughs> right. But that's a vehicle, a yes. revenue vehicle for him to chase something he is passionate about. And he's not there yet. He's on his way to journey, but he knows that's not it. He's got to find something else. But it's a perfect example of a way to get to that thing you're truly passionate about. Whew, mm-hmm. I told you to buckle up. I'm I, exhausted after that. <laughs> I am just have to say that I am in tears. I'm tearing up over here because <laughs> this is why we're... We immediately connected as or yeah. best friends because since I was 19, I felt like I was put here to make a difference in other people's life in a positive, impactful way. So I love that you figured that out as well. And it was like, as soon as you were starting to say, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the same as mine. That's crazy. Yeah. And two, I want to talk to you about what you said about looking at your life if money was no object. That's actually something I have people do in my book. And my first book is really look at, journal it out. What does that look like? Absolutely. For most of our generation, I'll say that, is that our parents taught us to focus on the money and not on what is it that you're passionate about? What is it that you like to do? Or who you are, which who you are is not titles at all. It has nothing to do with who you are as a title, whether that's a parent, a spouse, or a CEO, executive, whatever. It has to do with how you show up. So I love that you touched on that. And for those of you who are listening, who are thinking when he said fishing or surfing is my jam, guess what? There are things called surf therapists and fishing therapists. So... If you can figure out how to make that into a career for yourself, I guarantee you, you will find it. So yes, find the things that you are passionate about and the rest will fall into place because I totally believe that the money will come when you are working in what lights your soul on fire. It'll show up. Absolutely. You got to show up every day. And I say this often, my dad had a job. My son has a lifestyle. Yeah, And that's the way this new generation is thinking. It's not about nine to five. It's about what happens throughout their day and how they can structure it to do the things that they're passionate about and what's important to them. Absolutely. And it's it's lifestyle design. That's what we're talking about. I totally agree. We're getting ready to wrap up, but I just have a few more questions. And so one, even though I know you said about your core value, so I think it'll go along the lines, but what would be your legacy? What do you want to be remembered for? I want to be, and I wrote this in my bio sketch. So it's a great question and leaders need to ask that. I'd like people to say this about me, that he invested in people, that he really made a difference in the lives of others. It's going to speak right to that core purpose. And that's what I want written on my gravestone. I hope that I make millions in my business, but that won't be on my gravestone because what really, what I treasure most is like what I found this morning where somebody listened to what I had to say, learned from it, my mistakes, because I screwed it up and got it right. And and that's the stuff to me that's just enormously fulfilling. To the day I hear from people that I led, that I made a difference in, that I just, I don't remember. It was so many soldiers in my career. But every now and then someone will come up and, and, and say, hey, you said this to me. Like I had a soldier that sent me a, a thank you note that I had written and sent to him. He still had it. Five years after the date I sent that, it mm. meant that much to him. And it brought me to tears. It was moving for me. And that's what that's that to me is return on investment. That's ROI yeah. when I see something like that. And and that's how I want to be remembered. That's, you know, wow, that guy really cared, made a difference. And I'm better because of Rob Campbell. Those are the things I'd want to hear. 
So I work hard at that every day. I love that. I love that. And I know you've referenced your book and I know that people are like, how can I get in touch with you? So please tell us, how can you be contacted? What's your website? How can I buy your book? The name of your book, those types of things. Yeah, you bet. So the books, first one is uh, it's personal, not personnel. I wrote that. It really just, it talks about my leadership approach. And I used that last big organization that I led as an example of what we did and the benefits that came from it. And it talks a lot about me getting to know yourself, getting to know your people and how I, I approach leadership. Uh, a lot of fun to write. I'm having a blast with it. The second one is called At Ease, Enjoying the Freedom You Fought For, which a lot of veterans surrender their freedom when they transition out. They just go get a job and let the system tell them what to do. I want them to enjoy the freedom that they fought for. So it's a soldier's story and perspectives on, a, on the journey to an encore life and career. And it's very centered on transition for those that have served a while, though it's been very beneficial to even some that have only done five years or so, because it doesn't take long for the military to get into your DNA and for you to become institutionalized. And so the book, it speaks to all of that, talks about my journey that I give some perspectives on transition. I've even had people that are non-veterans that have read it, that have gone through a transition themselves and gotten a lot out of it because it was very therapeutic for me to write, first of all, because it was it was like three, three and a half years on the making yeah. where I t- talked about the journey as I traveled it. I've been almost five years now retired. Yeah, those are the two books. I hang out a lot on LinkedIn. You can find me there at Rob Campbell Leadership. And my website is robcampbellleadership.com. I do a blog three times a week. I think I've got you on there, Shay. Yep. And you, you'll see that often on LinkedIn. It's a good place to find me. But if you go to my website and sign up for it, it's a newsletter right now. We're making some corrections to it. But three days a week, about 7.30-ish Eastern, I uh, I get up, I write those in the morning because it, it's a great way to start my day. It just motivates me. And I hit send on those. And I've gotten a lot of good feedback on those blogs. It's just different thoughts of mine on a variety of things. So three times a week, building my third book that way. <laughs> I think it's perfect. Yeah. And yes, that's a, a great way to write a book, but it's also a great way to share your thoughts. So thank yeah. you. For- well, I'd love to connect with your audience. This is such a great show. Yeah, thank you. And it has just been so fun and so engaging. And as people can tell, we could talk for hours on a million yeah. different things. There's just <laughs> I know. so much to talk about. Rob, I always like to leave with this question of what phrase, scripture, or mantra are you living by right now? What mantra am I living by? Man, your questions are just killer today. I mean, they're really... <laughs> Really good. <laughs> good. Thank you. But I got an answer and, and I'm so glad you asked. It's living in the moment. Mm. And I'm doing that more now than I have been. Now, look, I have a coach. I have two coaches. I practice what I preach. I got people that help me see things I can't see for myself. And because of my coach, I'm living more in the moment now because I'm one of these people that I I like to look futuristic and think about the mountaintop that I get to at some point in time in my life and my business and where we might end up living permanently someday. And I have to let go of that because it's just let the river guide you on where you're going to be, but enjoy the moment. And that's what I'm doing right now. I love this conversation with you and I will think about this the rest of the day. I'll be in the moment. And just let go of some things. And, you know, this isn't to say that, you know, just let life take you where it's going to take you. You certainly got to work the lever to get to where you want to be. But don't overthink it. And don't get so focused on end of May. Be here today on the 15th of March and enjoy the 15th of March. And go out and stand in the sun and and just take a breath and and take a break and walk around and, yeah, be in the moment. So that's my mantra right now. and, And it's serving me well, I must say. 
Mm, I love that. Be in the moment. Yeah. Being present is a gift. It is. And, and it's work. It's not automatic. You, you got to kind of work it and remind yourself that stop, be here in the moment, just be present and enjoy this because it's over. This week will be over and it'd be like, oh my God, what the heck did I do? Thank you. Yeah. And so true. So true. So thank you, Rob, so much for being here today. I know our listeners are loving it and it's been an honor for me as well. Awesome. Good stuff. Thank you. So if you enjoyed this podcast, because I know you did, and maybe you even took notes, because I'm sure you probably did that too, please go over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review, and that would really help us out. So until next time, have an awesome week. Hey, don't turn this off just yet. Does the thought of collaborating and connecting with a diverse group of creative thought leaders appeal to you? Do you have a compelling story and don't know where to start? Have you ever thought about writing a book and thought about writing the whole book is overwhelming? Well, we are looking for you. We want to connect and collaborate with other podcasters, coaches, and entrepreneurs who want to gain exposure. We are looking for other people who want to co-author a book with us. You can find out more details at firestartersbookproject.com.